Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz band leader and composer Michael Weatherwax. He opened up about his new 2023 CD with his jazz orchestra called Big Band Tracks by Wax. He grew up in Burbank, California, and in his younger years, he performed with the family band The Reflectors under the direction of his father, who was an accomplished musician teaching in several different schools in Burbank. In Michael's teen years, he wrote for a Henry Mancini TV special and The Tonight Show Band. Jazz has been in his lineage since the beginning and he's had quite a ride enjoy this interview michael weatherwax hey joe what's up my man yeah good uh, why am i said mute oh that's what weird. what's that oh on my side i see it says um, there's a mute button but i guess you can hear me yeah yeah you're good yeah everything's good we're live yeah so okay great. cool man nice to meet you yeah you too joe Thank you for taking a minute out today. And before we get into your latest work, I want to know, how did you survive COVID? It was quite a time for all of us to get through. How did you get through it? How good does this new release feel? Well, during that point, uh, I, I had a trio as well as our big band, but the big band kind of took some time off. And a lot of stuff I just did here locally at my home studio, and I just sent things there. In fact, uh, with my five-piece group, uh, the saxophone player was able to, and this wasn't via Zoom because, you know, there's a delay. Yeah. And so we put some t songs together and did some crazy stuff, which was hilarious. Everybody had a click and a work track, and they did their part. And he just tried to do that, and we just had fun doing that. But it was pretty, um, not a lot of gigs out in town or whatever. Everybody's kind of, like, afraid to see each other. <laughs> Talk to me about this project. What, how did it come together? How did the project come together? And with the world opening up, it has to feel relieving to have new material out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I've been part of this Glendale City College group on Tuesday nights that was a, a class, and they would also bring in some pro players, and it was kind of half and half of students. And the students got to get the idea and see what it's all about by watching the pros do it too. And they would, you know, they'd share a lot and it was kind of good. And then after a couple of years, I don't know, it was right before COVID, then the school decided to go a different direction. And then everybody was saying, well, goodbye, whatever. And I said, um, no, man, we got to start the band <laughs> and just keep the band going. And I said, let's just do it at our house or whatever. And I did one here, but Craig Kupka, my friend who is a director of the, he was the director of that band. He was a teacher at Glendale, and uh, he has a, a double-car garage that he fixed into his own studio. And he said, let's just do it there, and we did it casually. And through the years, even back in Glendale City College, I was always writing something every six months or, or so. And through the years, he said, you know, you got nine songs, and they were always the, one of the best that the band does or the ones that people like to hear. And so he says, why don't we record those um, – just for your own documentation, because I originally wanted just to have a version of them just for my own self. Mm -hmm. And then I, as I was mixing it, and I'm saying, well, this is sounding pretty good. <laughs> and I said, um, and then they said, well, why don't you just put it out there to see what it could do? And um, somebody told me about uh, Kate Smith or whatever. And, and I just, well, I'm just putting it out there and it does something great. If not, it doesn't matter. And I just wanted something so 
later on years, if somebody wants to hear something, you say, oh, I used to write big man music. They'll say, well, let me hear something. And if you have nothing to play, so I decided just to go ahead and go for it. And it turned out pretty good. And I'm getting good response. So you've had quite a run in this world of music from the Mancini show to Uh, the Tonight Show. There's so many things that go into it. So let's get to the Big Bang moment for you, the Alpha. Where were you born and raised? How did these seeds get in you to love not only music, but jazz? Well, I was born and raised in Burbank. My dad was a bass player and music teacher in a couple of schools locally. He played with Peggy Lee, and he was on the original first live TV band with the Ralph Edwards, before Johnny Carson, before Jack Barr and all that. And he was on live TV every night, his little trio, backing up live TV and wore the pancake makeup with the bright lights back in the 40s. And so uh, then he would take my mom out to dinner in Hollywood after that, and she would see at the restaurant, he goes, Hal, can you we'll go watch your place? <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of funny. So my brothers and everybody in my family learned piano at an early age plus another instrument, and I picked up trumpet. And uh, so then through the years, we had a family band when I was 14, and I was the oldest (laughs) and the leader. And uh, we played for the Rowan Martins, all their parties, and we were on laughing because we played beautiful downtown Burbank every weekend. And so uh, from there, it went into high school where I wrote, and I won jazz composer to the state of California two years in a row and did a lot of writing there and got asked to do an arrangement for Mancini when I was 17 on the Baby Elephant Walk and for a concert band. And he, there was none available, so I stayed up all night and wrote one out, and whatever, and they used it on his TV special. And then people, my name got around locally. And so if somebody had, back in the 60s, uh, a single hit wonder with on guitar, they would say, can you use the, our band, the you know, Doc Semerson band? Or it was a Tommy Newsom band at the time. And so um, they said, yeah, but I don't have an arrangement. So they would always seem to find me. So I used to do some arrangements for that. Plus, my piano player and trumpet teacher were like, one of the heaviest guys. In fact, Jimmy Rolls, the piano player, is the one who played piano on Moon River. And uh, and um, Grant was uh, a trumpet teacher who played um, in his band as well. So I got to meet and learn and uh, a lot of people in the studios. So then, uh, so that was at Monterey when I got one jazz composer and I went there as the first all-star band on the lead trumpet. And I wrote an arrangement with the McMinnville Choir that came down from Oregon. And I wrote a piece while we were up there and woke them all up at 8 o'clock Sunday morning to rehearse <laughs> and, and conducted it that afternoon. That was really good. But it's safe to say that this has been kind of a part of your life and your DNA. You've grown up with it. You don't know any different. Exactly. I mean, I started off piano at five and trumpet at seven. And just and then in high school, I played trumpet with the uh, original Toto band. And that was with the Picaro brothers and Dave Page and all them. And they went to Grand High School nearby. So we played up and down Ventura Boulevard um, as a great horn band. That was amazing. Yeah, we were all 17, 18, and then I got them to do a demo album here at my house or my parents' house at the time, and uh, for these Japanese mother and daughter singing team, and then they uh, and it was an amazing demo album as you can imagine. And so we went to Japan. I lived out there for six months and became like an accompanist arranger for a TV show every night, 
And uh, they offered me to a contract for 10 years when I was like 19. Wow. And I said, well, I don't even know what I want to do next week. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't do it. I came back and then you know, just kept going from there. Do you ever think that you wish you would have taken that gig for 10 years? Uh, it would have been great. It would have been a lot easier than what I end up doing in my 20s, <laughs> which is take a band on the road all the way back to the East Coast and back in, in Kansas City. Isn't that where you're at? Yeah, Kansas, Kansas City. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, when I was at Bush Gardens here in L.A. and I became the arranger for that with a producer, a drummer, who was hired by another company. Well, he was from Kansas City and Curtis Pickering and uh, with VPR, Video Public Relations, whatever. And he's had that for 40 years or whatever by now. And um, and so he got the band to play all over the country. And I ended up settling in Kansas City for a year because the union was still on strike. So I was doing a couple of TV shows at Universal and they were on strike. So that wasn't happening and so he says, well, come out to Kansas City. I'll get you some things. We'll, we'll write a show for Crown Center and different places and, and oh, put cool. that band together. And we played all over Westport and the plaza and stuff. Okay. And I, I went back there a second time and did even more stuff. And we um, wrote a rock opera together when I went out there and had it recorded live and performed three nights in a row, sold out at the Uptown Theater. Okay. And uh, that was like in the early 80s. And uh, and I had a daughter who was born there from Truman Medical Center. So Kansas City was really like my second home. Wow. Yeah, you're throwing terms out. People will say they're from Kansas City. But when you start saying things like you're saying, you got on the inner guts. You, you've you been inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was like all over the place. I was like, you know, I had a lot of energy back then. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like it here? Oh, I loved it. In fact, I just came back from there a month ago. Okay. Well, okay. My old band, Loopy. I don't know if you ever heard the band yeah. Loopy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I started that band and I okay. played there in the late 70s, early 80s. And then I bought a big music computer, the Fairlight computer musical instrument. And I was the only one that could actually, in, in LA, that not only had one that can actually sight read music too. So yeah. I did a lot of TV shows with it and with a live orchestra, an 80-piece orchestra for Disney's Sunday night movie theme when they used all the Michael Jackson video stuff that was cut in. And then oh, I also cool. was on fame every week. And they had Fairlight who did do all the dance percussion stuff. And yeah. I played acoustic piano with a live orchestra. And the string players who questioned me at first, but I ended up tapping their bows because they appreciate somebody who can actually read. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so that was, um, and I bought that in Kansas City originally. Yeah. And uh, so I eventually came out here with that and did a lot of shows and a lot of, then I ended up playing keyboards for Knight Rider, Airwolf, and things like that. The, the the great thing, you know, every place has their their vibe. You know, New York's the cauldron. That's the epicenter. You know, Kansas right. City, New Orleans, all these other towns have their history and tapestry. But being out in Burbank and L.A., I mean, you, you have the chance to really get exposure. I mean, when you're dealing with TV and film and having that high level, what, right. what what has that meant for you over the years to be in that environment, to have that access to such a mass audience for your work? Well, it's kind of bittersweet because originally 
I was so encouraged. And I, in fact, in college, I even wrote a symphony that was I wanted to conduct, but they wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> and so I wanted to go like to Eastman where uh, Chuck Mangione was, you know, becoming famous. And I wanted to go back to New York somewhere and get my, you know, dealers out there. But my folks said, well, you're in L.A., why don't you do what you can do out here? And so I pushed that further, and I became the student for with Hugo Montenegro for years. And um, and then I was studying timing composition with Earl Hagen, who did all the Sheldon Leonard production stuff, like Andy and Mayberry and Mod Squad and stuff. And in that class was Quincy Jones and all these other, uh, Tommy Newsom and whatever. So it was like I got to take individual lessons privately or semi-privately locally, which I couldn't have done anywhere else instead of going to a university and picking, getting in a class. So yeah. I thought that kind of helped, but there was still nothing then being able to do, try something and hear it performed live, which yeah. I was able to do with some great people out here, including like the, uh, the uh, Clayton brothers which I was friends with John and Jeff Clayton in college, and we were in a couple of bands together. And uh, and just to hear everything performed, and I would write for them and then get to hear that and have those things performed. So that really helped being in Burbank to do stuff like that. So, you know, you've obviously been at this game for a long time. What has been the key to your longevity? What do you love the most about this? Um, well, I've always had to adjust and whatever, and... In fact, when I was back in the 90s or in 2000s, um, some things were tight. I was still writing for Lassie and doing other other projects, uh, not making a killing, but surviving. But then I got an offer to do um, like music editing and uh, sound stuff for a company that had a big contract and they wanted someone like me to look it over. And I that was like a steady thing, but... I could do that on the side. So it really helped to be able to wear multiple hats and not just be strictly one thing. What is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? Well, I would say when I was younger, I enjoyed the performing side of it. But when, when you get older, you get tired of all that running around, especially when you have keyboards to pack up and amps and all that. And nowadays you're worse than a drummer, <laughs> you know, with the type of, at least back in the synthesizer days you were. Um, but as far as professional musician, I like now that I'm able to sit in a program like Sibelius, which computers weren't even around then or whatever, and be able to play something and hear a bad tone version of it, but you can kind of get the idea and be able to copy and paste, you know, like a thing. If you want to change the key in the middle of the song, you can copy and paste the first half, put in the second half, and just by one button, change the key where the old days you'd have to do everything by hand. And I was like, I'd spend used to spend more time popping out my parts than writing. And so nowadays it's so much easier because you can be more creative and not have to be so physical on it. Yeah, for sure. So why do you love jazz? Um, because uh, I started early enough. And then even though you're playing different other styles when you're younger, um, there was always some jazz elements and songs you liked. But then as time went on, you had more freedom in that than you did just playing rock and roll or anything else, which usually was the same every time you played it. <laughs> and so I always left enough openness in 
my charts that you can have a beginning and ending together, and then you open up and create in the middle. And you allow, like, your better players and friends to have their moment, too. So I think it's just a fun... But, you know, the, but what I did on this album is I found a collection of songs I feel, because I, I don't really think it's a wise idea for a lot of jazz musicians to... They, they do what they want to do, and if the audience likes it or not, that's great or whatever, but it doesn't matter. It's like sometimes I feel like they're more or less doing it for themselves and their own enjoyment. But I try to find songs of different styles and and tunes that people have heard before or my originals where it's kind of easier to follow or listen to. And then you get then you push the boundaries a little bit. And then they say, oh, I get it. I like that, but whatever. Because, you know, like the whole idea is to get an audience <laughs> or to yeah. get more people into appreciating jazz. And so I always felt like it was... Uh, important to do s- certain songs and things or arrangements that were either curious, like my combination I did of Waltz for Debbie with um, the folk song of, of Billy Boy, you know, the old child. Um, doing, and I put them both together and then I overlapped them and everything. And some people who don't know music well, they would say, oh, I love how you did that and you brought in some of that, whatever. And they hear things like that and then they kind of get the idea of arranging. So, so, um, so I think it's important that in the world of jazz that you get it to where people can appreciate it, not just pro musicians, but, you know, anybody off the streets. So, Michael, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you ultimately lead the march. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, that's a crazy question. I think because I was the oldest of the whole family band and everybody that went on to play at one point of their life, that they always saw me as the leader because I've been the leader of every band since I was 14. And uh, after so many years of it, that's why I joined this big band because it was, it was held down by the, uh, the director was the teacher at, at, at Glendale College. And they said, we have a piano here, so you don't have to move anything. And it's only four miles away and all that. And I said, sold, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, because it was just made it so easy to go there and just keep your brain active and try, sight read music every week. So I like that because I spent my whole life and career just always coming up with an idea of a band or a situation or an arrangement or a movie score to do everything. And I would end up doing most of it with help from others, of course. But um, uh, but I just felt like it was always to be the one to instigate a project or music or whatever. Because a lot of times it's nothing more magical than just doing it. You know, it's like people want to have something to follow or to, to have a challenge to do. And if you give them something original and, you know, you say, here, try this, everybody's like, can do that. But you got to come up with something that's kind of, exciting and fun, which everybody on this album donated all their time because they were really into it. So if anyone wants to pick up the new album, learn more about you, live shows, anything pertaining to your world, where can they go? Probably like on Spotify or um, all the streaming services. They've got everything there. If you want to learn more about me, even though my website, tracksbywax.com, is is, uh, being revamped with this project and other things. 
um, but it's got my bio and different things on there as well. Cool. Michael, this has been great, man. Great Kansas City connection. Great career in music. Thank you for opening up. I appreciate it. Yeah, I had to freeze a lot of barbecue and bring it home. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Michael, thank you, man. Best of luck with everything. Great to meet you. Thank you, and I'm glad we did this. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Burbank, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Michael for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.